You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning, Meadowbrook. Okay. Uh, if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be uh, reading out of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. From you will come forth a ruler who will will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until, they came, until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Please be seated. We are in uh, this series, this Advent series, this Christmas series. It's been a lot of fun for me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, We are obviously going to be spending some time reflecting on the Magi uh, this morning. Uh, And my prayer has been for you that that God would just again I, I don't want it to sound redundant but it's so true that God will do what he's capable of doing in your lives there are going to be eight people baptized today there are um, I, I know all of their stories I know uh, one of them one of them was in my office maybe two and a half weeks ago not sure what to do with Jesus, just thinking through what does it mean to follow him. He's being baptized today. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. And, and I could go on and on to talk about just the amazing stories that are represented in, uh, in and through the lives of those, all of those who are going to be baptized today. I am a pretty, I'm a happy pastor today. Because <laughs> um, I, I just, just knowing their stories. You know, the, the story of Advent is, I mean, it's the story of a God who, who, you know, like in the first sermon I talked about this, it's a story of a God, of a God who, who's bigger than our sins. His grace is infinitely bigger than our greatest sins. And that he is, he, he's the kind of God who's able to take what is ugly and turn it around and make it, make it into something beautiful. Last week I talked about how we have a God who enters into our mess. 
He entered into our mess through the person and work of his son. There are two principles that God operates by. Now, they're not the only principles, but they are principles in the Bible. There is the principle of the incarnation, and there's the principle of God's grace. The incarnation is that the intent and plan all along was that God would dwell with his people from the very beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3, and we see that all through the Bible. God said to Adam and Eve, you will have a, after they sinned against him, he said, Eve, you will have a child. It will come through your gene pool who will crush the head of the serpent. And, and throughout the scriptures and throughout time, God would slowly and with more detail reveal who this one would be that would crush the head of, of the devil, the serpent. And, and so that first week, we, we, you know, we looked at how Israel rejected God as their king. And they've been, they were doing that all along. And we have a propensity in our hearts to do that, to reject God as king over our lives. And last week, when, I, when we fl- reflected on the incarnation principle, that the, God's intent was all along to dwell with his people, that his plan all along was that a king would reign and rule over his people. But that king would not just be some human king like David. He would be greater than David. He would be both divine and he would be human. And we see that come together in the incarnation on, on that first Christmas, which I'll talk more about next week. And then you have the principle of grace. Now, it's not just any type of grace. God operates by the principle of unconditional grace. There's nothing that you can do to add to, 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 to your salvation if you're a Christian in this room. There's nothing that you can do if you're not a Christian in this room if you're, there's nothing you can do to, that you could bring to God's table of righteousness where God will have to say, oh, I'm obligated to let you into my heaven now and to forgive you of your sins. There's nothing you can do. That is the story of Advent. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that's the message of Advent. So now we're, here we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 2. I want to just begin just before Matthew chapter 2 and read for you chapter 1 verses 18 leading up to chapter 2, which is the birth of Jesus. If you have a Bible, my encouragement to you is to turn to these passages in the Bible. We'll spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 2. I want you to see some things in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn open to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't, there's a Bible underneath one of those seats around you. You can grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. Uh, if you use a digital device, tur- turn to Matthew chapter 2. But, but before Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1 sets up the Magi. In verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So if you're engaged, the only way to end engagement in those days in Israel was through uh, a certificate of divorce. And so Joseph planned to do that. But When he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God 
with us. That's the principle of, God, of, of the incarnation. And then we find ourselves with chapter 2. Here's the crazy thing about Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 2. Okay, the crazy thing is that the, the people that are invited to experience and witness this child that was prophesied about long ago, this child who's born king of the Jews, this child who would be king of kings and lord of lords, this child who's not just some ordinary uh, human, he is greater than David. The people that were invited to experience this child were magi. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you know about the Magi, but let me, let me share a few things with you. The Magi were most likely astrologers. These Magi, most likely, did not believe in the God of, uh, of Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David. They just knew a few things and, uh, and, and, and studied some things for a long time, and God invited them to experience this child. Now, when the Magi showed up, this most likely it wasn't just three of them. <laughs> uh, it was probably a, a, a bunch of them. And these were influential people. These were people who had the ear of the king. Um, these, these were respectable people. But these were not people who worshipped Yahweh. And they're the ones invited to experience the, this, the, the Christ child. What I find even more interesting is that if you look at the four Gospels, you look at the Gospel of Matthew, and you look at the Gospel of John, uh, the bookends for the four Gospels in your Bible are magi who are invited to, to see and experience the Christ child, and a, a very questionable woman with a very shady past by the name of Mary Magdalene is the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't you find that ironic? And also good news at the same time. Like, like, these are the kinds of people that are invited into the story of Jesus. And so, uh, I don't have time to get into Mary Magdalene. Come back. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll come back next week. But uh, come back on Resurrection Sunday. I'll talk, I'll talk more about the, the resurrection. But, but like, I, I don't know how much you know about the Magi, but here's the crazy thing in my brain about them. One, that, that the Bible has very strong words against astrology for, for good reason. The Bible, there are verses in the Bible, and, and you can check it out in my manuscript when it's uploaded on our webpage, but there's, like, if you're writing stuff down, you can write down Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, or you could write down Isaiah chapter 47, verses 13 through 15. The Bible has very strong words against astrologers, against people who study the stars looking for answers. And it's these people who are invited to uh, experience and witness the, the, the Christ child. Uh, and, and the other thing that, that baffles my mind here is that, that they knew some things about, about the Old Testament. They had studied sacred scripture from the Old Testament, and they were looking for, for, for this, this Christ child. Here's the thing that I find amazing about this, and we'll, we'll get into Matthew chapter 2 in a second. The thing that I find so amazing about this is that God uses the language of pagan astrologers to speak into their lives, to point them to this Christ child. It's the principle of incarnation and the principle of his unconditional grace. There's nothing that these magi could do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that they did. They were, uh, they were far from God, 
And I don't know what happened after they, they, they bowed down and worshipped the child, if they continued to worship him. I, I, we're not told. This is the only place we're told about these guys, uh, the, the guys who visited the Christ child. But they knew that there was going to be a, a, a savior. They, they knew that this king would one day be born. And so uh, it goes all the way back to like Genesis chapter 12. I think they were familiar with passages like Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. And I will make you, speaking, God speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Well, how will you bless Abraham, God? Well, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Meaning, through your seed, through your gene pool, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And, uh, and this is why the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, they tie, they tie I believe, Mary's genealogy in Luke and, and Joseph's genealogy in Matthew back to Abraham, back to David, back to Adam, and so forth and so on. I, I said last week, I even pointed out a guy by the name of Judah, uh, who's a pretty, he was a pretty shady character, you know? It, I mean, his story winds up being redemptive, and God does an amazing thing in his life, but but, uh, but guys like Judah are included in Jesus' family tree. He's included in the genealogy of Jesus' um, lineage, which, which I said last week. I said, when you look at these kinds of people that are included in his family tree, the reason why they're included in his family tree is because these are the, these are the kind of people Jesus died for. These are the people Jesus came to redeem. And so uh, through Jesus, a son of Abraham and David, uh, would be blessed. Jesus, the son of Abraham and the son of David, through him. So I have two points that I want to share with you. And they're kind of like application points. So you can take them and, and, uh, and, and, and process them and, and, and stew on them a, a little bit. The first is this, is that God wields, God wields time and space for his own sovereign designs. Now I'll, I'll unpack that, but I just, you just need to hear that. God wields, the sovereign God wields time and space for his own sovereign designs. He is doing something in the world. He's always been at work at doing something in the world. Listen, he is doing something in your life. Some of you may be wondering, you know, did God forget about me? What is he doing? Like, why is all this stuff happening in my life? Well, the thing that we learn from the Bible and the thing that we, that those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while have come to, to discover is that he is in the details. He is in the details. God wields time and space for his own sovereign designs. Uh, we're not told how many magi there are, but here is the thing that just, I was geeking out over this, and I don't know if you'll geek out with me, but it's okay. Uh, here's, the, here's, the, here's the interesting thing I find about this, that when you look at at Joseph's family tree, which we're given in Matthew, and you look at Mary, I believe it's Mary's family tree, that we're given in, in Luke chapter 3, there is a lot of years represented in those family trees. And then in, in, tucked into that time span is about 70 years. 70 years in Babylon. 70 years with Israel being, or Judah, the southern kingdom, being judged for their idolatry. 70 years as exiles in, in, in Babylon. You could read the book of Daniel. Daniel takes, takes uh, like part of Daniel takes place 
during that Babylonian exile. Like, like Daniel was a young, probably teenage kid when he was forcibly removed from his home in Judah and made to live in, in Babylon. And if you were living in those days, if you were, if you were uh, experiencing those, those very difficult things, like when, when Nebuchadnezzar came and he surrounded Jerusalem, which was in the southern part of the kingdom Judah, when he surrounded them, he besieged Jerusalem. Uh, he, he leveled the temple. It was a lot of horrible things happened during, during those I don't, know, I don't know what the time frame was. I think it was, I think it was like three years. But a lot of horrible things happened. Daniel, was, along with some of his friends, was forced to be removed to live in this land of Babylon that he was not familiar with, to learn language he had, he had not known, to eat. Uh, he was asked to eat food that he had never eaten before. And God was doing something in the midst of that. He was doing something in the midst of that. And so uh, what was he doing? Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, he tells us this, and I have the words on the screen. Let's read this together. This is a good one. Ready? But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. What's, what's the Apostle Paul saying there? That God was moving throughout history, through time and space, raising up kings and deposing kings, dissolving kingdoms and establishing kingdoms for the purpose that, 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 that the right time would come so that when Jesus' birth happened, it would, be, it, would, it would just be the perfect time. You would have roads that people could travel on, the Roman roads, and you'd have a language that most people spoke to communicate that good news. The Magi were able to visit Jesus because Rome, because God raised up Rome to establish roads. Do you ever think about that? And, and so then, so, so God was doing something in Babylon, so we're back in Babylon, and what was he doing? He was using this guy by the name of Daniel and some of his friends. Daniel represented the God of all creation. When you go to Daniel chapter 2, we learn that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Well, what kind of dream did he have? He had a dream of this big statue. Uh, the head was gold, and, and uh, the different parts of the body represented different kingdoms. But see, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? I want, I want to gather all the wise men. I want to gather all the learned men. I, I want all of them to gather together, and I want them to tell me my dream. But here's the catch. I'm not going to tell them the dream that I dreamt. If the God that they worship, or the gods that they worship, or if they're legit, <laughs> if they're legit, if they can indeed tell the future, if they can indeed for, you know, interpret dreams, then I, wouldn't, I should not have to tell them my dream. Whoever or whatever power reveals those things to them should be able to do that on that power's own accord. And so, uh, so all the, the, the wise men and the, and the, and the dream uh, interpreters and all those guys, they gather together and they're like, King, this is impossible. We, we, you need to tell us a dream. So, you, know, you ever, like, <laughs> that's when you know they're wrong, right? Like, Tell me about your life. <laughs> yeah, there's a, at my high school reunion, uh, one, of the, one of the peers I went to high school with, I, I think I may have shared this a couple weeks ago, she, uh, she is now a, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, psychic, yeah, she's a psychic. Uh, claims to be a psychic. And I was just thinking about that. I was sharing this story. 
like she, she, I knew she was, and uh, I didn't know all the details. And so as we're talking, trying to talk over the loud music and the hundred people that are trying to talk over the loud music, uh, she asked me, well, what do you do? Which I was thinking, shouldn't you know? <laughs> if what you do is like legit. Uh, that's exactly what happens with, <laughs> and I told her, well, I, I'm a pastor. She's like, no, ex- bleepity bleep. Um, like, <laughs> she like, couldn't believe I was a pastor. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm a pastor. But uh, so Nebuchadnezzar calls these people, and, and they can't interpret the dream. But they, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I'll tell you what. If you can't interpret my dream, I'm going to kill you all. And so Daniel gets wind of this, and Daniel says, well, tell the king, hey, hold off. Um, I will pray to my God. And I have a God who's able to reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream without me even without Nebuchadnezzar telling me what the dream was. And that's exactly what happens. But the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had represented four kingdoms, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece, and Rome. And this is why critics of the Bible will say, Daniel possibly could, it could not have been written when, when you know, most people claim it was written. It had to, be, had to have been written later because of things like Daniel chapter 2. So in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and, and, and it troubles him. But at the end of the dream, there's a stone that's not cut with human hands that hits the feet of the statue representing Rome and completely shatters the, whole, the entire statue. So Daniel's like, uh, you can read the whole story in Daniel too, but Daniel says, you know, I, I know the, God has revealed uh, your dream to me, king. And he interprets the dream for him. But in chapter 2, verse 44, he says this, of the stone, not cut by human hands. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will be left for, will not, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but, it, but itself, it will endure forever. There's a kingdom that's coming that will endure forever. So guess what happened to Daniel? He was promoted, but he wasn't just promoted. He didn't like get a, a raise or something. He was promoted as being chief over all the wise men in Babylon. Connecting the dots. Um, so, so uh, I think this is just my. And we're not told, but I think these magi came from the east. Well, where's the east? Where Babylon was, where Persia was, uh, and they came from that area. I think that whatever it was that Daniel shared in their brains, like, there's, there's got to be some truth to this, and God spoke to the Magi through a star that they would follow, and I don't know, there's all kinds of philosophy theories about the stars, a supernova that blew up, and this and that, and I don't know, maybe God just put a light up there. But whatever it was, they followed it. God spoke a language that the Magi understood, and they followed it, and, and it, it led them to Jesus. There's another passage in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says, A star shall appear from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. Meaning a king shall rise from Israel. And I think the Magi connected the dots. I think they connected the dots of sacred Old Testament scripture like Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It talks about you know, a virgin giving birth and, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. Or, or the passage that was read earlier in our worship service, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. I think they connected the dots. And the dot time period between Daniel 
and the Magi visiting uh, this infant or this child Jesus was about 500 years. And here, and, and Paul tells us in, in that passage I read for you in, in Galatians, like God was in the details. Listen, this is just a little, little side note or a little footnote of my sermon. God is in the details of your life. He's in the details of your life. Like he's not forgotten about you. He's doing something. He's doing something in your life. In your life. Um, the people that are being baptized today are a testament to, the, to a God who's in the details. And so... I think they were probably familiar with Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called, I mean, think about his names, Wonderful Counselor. Think about that for a moment. This one who will be born in Bethlehem is Wonderful Counselor. He's not just Wonderful Counselor, though. He's Mighty God, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. That's who was going to be, that was, that's who was born. That's the person that these magi wanted to go visit. And they didn't, and they didn't come empty-handed. They brought uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The whole point of that is they brought gifts that were fit in their brain, they was fit for a king. And, um, and God through all the details, I don't, I, without even the Magi being fully aware, was doing something that only God is able to do. Like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Like if he is real, if God is real, and I believe with all my heart that he is real, he is legit. He, he is God. And if he's God, he is sovereign. He is, uh, here's a word, he's infinitely sovereign which means he's perfectly sovereign, which means that in the same universe that God exists, karma cannot exist, luck cannot exist. There's only room for a sovereign, omnipotent, that's all-powerful God. And he was moving in the lives of these magi, and God, in his, through the, his principle of the incarnation, spoke a language that they could understand to lead them to, to the one by whom and through whom all things were created, namely Jesus. That's staggering to me. And then the second thing that I just, the second point is that God shatters the assumptions of man through his redemptive, his redemptive plans. God shatters the assumptions of man through his redemptive plans. I mean, there was 430 years that Israel was in the bondage of slavery in Egypt. 430 years. How old is America? You know, right? Like there's a, a, a there's like little ripplings, a little ripple effect going on right now about possibly, you know, we're possibly closer to a global war than we ever were for a long time. Um, you think like that concerns God? Like you think like he's thinking to himself, I didn't think of that. 430 years he maintained Israel while they're in the bondage of slavery. I guarantee you there were people in Israel who thought that God had forgotten about them. And then on top of that, there were another uh, 40 years that they wandered around in the wilderness thinking that God had forgotten them. And then on top of that, 70 years in Babylon, not just Babylon, but under other, under, under other empires, while they were in exile. 
And in the midst of all that, the crazy thing about Advent and the crazy thing about the Christmas story is that when you look at Matthew and you look at Luke and you read through those genealogies, what you are told through those genealogies is that God is in the details and he was moving people, moving time, moving history, raising up kings, deposing kings, establishing empires, uh, disabling empires. Like he was doing all of that for the purpose uh, of Jesus being born on that first Christmas. And we know, we know, I mean, Jesus was born. That's a historical fact. It's a historical fact that he lived. We know from all the testimony that has been shared of him that's included in the Bible, and even outside the Bible, he lived, <clears throat> he lived a life that we could never live. We know that he was sentenced to death, and he was crucified on a cross of wood. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus became a curse for you and for me on a tree turned into a cross. God shatters the assumption of man through his redemptive plans. And, um, and so all along, he was, he was telling his people, look, my plan is to, to dwell in the midst of you. It's always been that way. Even in the midst of your sin and all the great and horrible things you've done, my grace is greater than your sins. He told Israel, he said, um, look, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, just after he led them, delivered them from the bondage of slavery. The point is, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, therefore the king will be me who will reign over you. Here's, here's something I, I want to share with you. Like, the, 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 that first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, everything leading up to that, was not God's plan B. It was always his plan A. He's a sovereign God. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, we were given a little more details about what this, what this king will be. He says, this is what the Lord says. He who is the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of armies, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Next week, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 in the morning and, and, and see those words again. Like this is the God that, that moves empires to accomplish his sovereign will. And, and he does so by shattering the assumptions of man through his redemptive plans. Like you would think, okay, God, why don't you just start over with people? But he chose not to. He chose to do, do what only he is capable of doing. In other words, God's plan all along was that Yahweh would be king, that Yahweh the Redeemer would reign over his people, the Almighty One, who is eternal, would reign over his people. And the, and the Magi heard about this, I believe. And they started to connect the dots. But then we, we come to other passages in the Old Testament, other promises like Genesis uh, 49, verse 10, where it says that the scepter will not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and, him shall be, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Meaning, not only is Yahweh king, but there's going to be a physical uh, human king. There will be a human king that will reign over Israel. There's, there's another promise in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, that, he shall be, that God will will establish this king and he shall build a house for my name, God says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. 
And then there's another passage, and this is, not, this is one that's not really pointed out uh, during Advent uh, or looked at during Advent, but it is a Christmas passage. It's Psalm 110. And, and I, I changed Lord to Yahweh, because in Hebrew it's Yahweh. That's God's covenantal name. I just want you to see this. David wrote this psalm. So, the, so in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 7, verse 13, that's a prophecy that was given to David that you will have a descendant after you who, after you who will reign forever and ever. He will be from your gene pool, David, in spite of yourself, because we have a God whose grace is unconditional. But this is what it says. Like, this is just a couple verses. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest for how long? Forever. You can stay. <laughs> Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I don't have time to get into the significance of that passage. The point is, is there's a king. He's a human king. He's going to reign forever. Not only is he a king, but he's also a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, pretty interesting stuff. What kind of human king? So the question is, so the, the, and I'm, I'm drawing this to a close now. So the question is this. What kind of human king can be a physical descendant of David, have the obedience of the nations, who is not subject to the limitations of death because his reign will be eternal. What kind of king is that? He can only be a fully divine king, a God who's, or a king who is both God and human at the same time. That's Jesus. 100% God, God the Son, and 100% human, without sin. Without sin. That's why you have you have Joseph's family tree. The family trees are important in the Bible. And you have Mary's family tree. Mary's family tree shows us that, they, that Jesus is a, is a descendant, a physical descendant that can be traced all the way back to David and you know, beyond David. Joseph, who is not Jesus' you know, biological father, he's Jesus' stepdad. <laughs> but um, Joseph, according to legal rights, uh, is in the line of the kings. In order for a person to be able to sit on the throne of David, he had to be the legal heir of a male descendant of David. Joseph was that. This is why it's so important that when Joseph was like, like, like when he found out that Mary was pregnant, like how, like how, many, how many women get pregnant by the Holy Spirit? One. It's only happened once, right? <laughs> so, so it's understandable that Joseph was like, what in the world? Like, when, it, when he hears that Mary, like, from Mary, or from maybe through the grapevine, like, maybe Mary came up to him and said, hey, Joseph, I got really good news for you. And maybe she said this sheepishly, not knowing how Joseph would respond. Um, I'm pregnant. The good news is the Holy Spirit got me pregnant. You know what Joseph's response to that was? Yeah, right. Now, now he, he, and we know that. We know that it's right there. It's in between the verses, if you pay attention. Because he, want, he, he was getting, he was developing a plan to secretly divorce her. He didn't want her to be, to be shamed. He just, maybe he thought she was crazy. Or something happened. She just didn't want to tell him about it. Like, but he was going to divorce her quietly until God intervened and said, No, Joseph, Mary's not nuts. <laughs> She's not crazy. This thing that she shared with you actually happened. And you know why it happened? You want to know why the virgin birth is so important? Because, excuse the crassness of this, but sin is a global sexually transmitted disease. 
It is a curse. It is passed down from father to child. That's, that's what we read in the Bible. Uh, I'll show you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Let's go to that verse. I think I have it. Yep. Therefore, just as, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned, right? Never, nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam. That there's something there that's passed down from father to child. And, um, and God knows all the details. There's a mystery around there, but that's why the virgin birth was necessary. Jesus had to be born, and it couldn't be the result of a sin-cursed human uh, passing his sperm into Mary. I mean, I, I, sorry I'm crass about it, but it's like, it's in the Bible. And, and so this is why the virgin birth is so important. Because Jesus could be legally the, 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 the one who could sit on David's throne, and biologically you could trace him back to David. And so all of God's promises, we're told in the Bible, have their yes or find their yes in Jesus. Here's, here's my conclusion. So, so, <laughs> Mary was even baffled over this, right? We looked at this last week. Like, she's like, well, how in the world, how is this possible? How can, I, how can I have conceived a child and I'm not even married yet? Like, I'm still a virgin. And this is what the angel said to Mary. And this is all she needed to know. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Period. And so... The Magi come, they're looking for this child. They, they see God leads them to where Jesus was living. Jesus was probably a year and a half, maybe two years old at this point. They were on this journey for a long time. And so um, they're looking for this child. They're probably familiar with Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among all the clans of Judah, from, from you one will come forth. For me to be ruler in Israel, his times of coming forth are from long ago, from, from days of what? Eternity. There it is again. Like he's human, but he's also God. And he's existed forever, and he will exist forever. He is the Son of God who proceeds from God the Father. <clears throat> so when the Magi found Jesus and appropriately worshipped him, they experienced, we're told, great joy. Here, here's the application. They were given great joy. They received great joy. They experienced great joy. They got to witness the one that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about, where all the nations will be subject to his kingdom. He's not just a powerful king. He's a good king. He's not just a good king. He is the redeemer. He's the one who came to save his people from their sins. And uh, as, I, as I think about them, as I think about Mary and Joseph, you know, the stakes were really high for, for the Magi, for Mary, for Joseph. I mean, if you think about it, think about what it cost them. The Magi traveled very far to, to see this child. And, and on some level, it cost them something. But think about what it cost Joseph and Mary. It cost, it cost Joseph and Mary their reputation. I mean, like if Joseph had a hard time believing that this woman that he deeply loved was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what do you think the rest of the town thought? Right? Like, this is why when you read the gospel accounts, you, uh, for, occasionally you'll read 
things in the gospel accounts where like the religious leaders or people will say, isn't this, speaking of Jesus, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Nod, nod, wink, wink. Like, he was born out of wedlock. How can he be the Messiah? <clears throat> I mean, Nazareth was the size of like a, like a football field. Like, news travels fast in Cheyenne. I can't imagine a community the size of a football field talking about Mary and Joseph and all the, and, and the, the true things and the untrue things. So there was a cost for them. When Mary said, okay, fine, may it be so to me. I am the Lord's servant. I know what this is going to cost me. This is going to cost me relationships. This is going to cost me friendships. You know, the thing about Mary is she didn't have a choice, right? She was, like, the baby was already conceived in her. There was no going back. She had, no, she had, there was no objection from her. Actually, she welcomed the news, but she had no choice. You know who had a choice? Joseph. He could have walked away from the relationship. In fact, he contemplated it. But he decided, no, the Lord has spoken to me. This is true. I'm all in. I am all in, and I will honor and respect this woman, and I will not consummate our marriage until after Jesus is born. Because if you, in case you don't know it, Mary and Joseph had children, <laughs> and those children didn't really buy into the whole Jesus being the Messiah for a while either. And so, um, so he bought in, he, 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 he was all in. Here's my application, and then we're going to get ready for the baptisms. Um, in the same way that God wielded time and space to make the virgin birth a reality, and the visit of the Magi, <clears throat> a possibility, God did, was doing, and will continue to do all that is necessary to accomplish his redemptive purposes in and through your life. We see it in the lives of the Magi and Mary and Joseph, and he's doing that in your life. That's, the, that's one of the takeaways. You are here for a reason. Now, some of you are here because you, want to, you came to experience and witness somebody you really care about, somebody you love, who's going to be baptized, or you watched, you know, a baby being, you came to see a baby dedicated, and, and that's great. But I think you're here for another reason. I don't think that's the only reason. I think you're here to hear the greatest news in the universe. There are some of you in this room who do not know Jesus. You think you do because you might read a Bible verse here or there, or you might pray a prayer here or there, but you have no real relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to end that way today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You just have to come to the, ter to the terms of the reality that there's nothing you can do to where God will say, oh, you're good enough, you can come into my heaven now, I'll forgive you of your sins. Nothing. This is why Jesus was born. He was born to live a life that we could never live and die a death that we deserved. If God is able to move time and space to accomplish his redemptive purposes for mankind, even in the midst of those 430 years of slavery in Egypt, even in the midst of those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, even in the midst of those 70 years in exile, don't you think he can do the same in the midst of your circumstances of your life caused by your own sin? Don't you think he can, he's bigger than that? Some of you need to hear that. You need to stop wallowing in shame and grief and move forward in faith by trusting in the one who became your righteousness, who is your righteousness, who died for your sins and rose on the third day. You need to trust in him. And do you really think that your problems are greater than God's ability to turn your life around? Who cares what people think? 
God is bigger than all of that. That's, that's the first one. And the second one, in order to experience the great joy that Jesus brought to Mary, Joseph, and the Magi, they had to let go of their assumptions. Right? <laughs> the Magi, like, where does this star lead? Don't know. Let's just go. And it took probably a year, maybe longer, to get there. Um, Mary and Joseph, like, has this ever happened before? Nope. <laughs> and we have the word of an angel right now. And so that just needs to be good enough. And, and they had to let go of their assumptions that this was, this was something that could not happen to uh, embrace that, yes, it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. So uh, you know, think about that. Think about that. Uh, in order for, here's my application for you. For, in order for you to embrace Jesus as Savior, it will require, listen, it will require you to trust him as Lord over and in your life. There's only room for one pilot, one driver, one Lord, and that's Jesus, not you. Coming to him means that you will surrender your life to him. To find Jesus, the Savior, will require that you let go of your idols to experience him as the Redeemer. You've got to let go of your idols. If you're going to follow Jesus, and I have some of the conversations I've had with those being baptized, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not you doing something to earn your salvation. It is you, because of your salvation, because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have decided you're going to follow him. That means you're going to have to say no to certain things in your life. That means you're going to have to let go of certain things. That may mean you may need to let go of a, re of a relationship, or a dream, or a job, or whatever, or a geographical location to follow him. And here's the deal. Like, he is sovereign. He is good. And what he wants for you is for you to thrive in and through a relationship with him. You will never know the experience, or you will never know the joy and, con and contentment that God intends for you until you place your faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. So, to say yes to Jesus will mean that you will have to say no to the idols of your heart. And those are some of the takeaways. There's a lot, there's a lot more in, in these passages, but, um, but that's all we have time for. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would just compel you, do it. Why wait? Why wait? One of the guys that was getting baptized, you'll, you'll meet him, um, Dalton. Like, I asked him in my office, why wait? Why wait? And he's like, I have questions. I'm like, good, bring your questions. He's been wrestling through his questions. He went home after that conversation. I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. He went home, uh, too late. <laughs> um, he, he, went home, he went home after, afterwards, he read, he read the, I, asked, I told him, I said, you should read the Gospel of Mark. And those of you who are questioning who Jesus is, read the Gospel of Mark. He went home and read the Gospel of Mark three times. Texted me afterwards and said, what should I read now? I said, read the Gospel of John. He's read the Gospel of John. Like, like God, God's doing work in, there, in his life. It's good to have questions, but at some point you're going to have to cross over that threshold and, and say, I'm all in. I have questions, and that's okay, but I am all in. I believe that Jesus Christ lived the life that I could never live, died a death that I deserved, and on the third day rose from the grave. I'm convinced on those truths, and I'm willing to follow him. Every single person that's being baptized today has made that commitment. And so, um, so we're going to do some baptisms. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.